Crimson Tower Studios. Welcome to the Old World Podcast, the unofficial podcast for Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay and the original podcast bringing you both discussion and actual play in 4th edition. I'm one of your hosts, Lance, and tonight I'm not only joined by my co-host Matt, as usual, but we're also joined by a very special guest and now three-time alumni to the show, Graham Davis. Graham, thank you so much for joining us again. It's always a pleasure. It's a pleasure for us, let me tell you. So we are excited. Uh, we have a lot to talk about. We actually had originally planned to talk about the companion book in our last episode, but we just we had so much to talk about. Would have been too much. Yeah, we it was just to fit too much. much content. So yeah, the, we ran out of time. Right. So uh, we're excited to talk about this one. Um, so uh, we're gonna bust through. We got some news and stuff here, but before we get into all of that stuff, uh, we wanted to dig a little deeper into Graham Davis. So. Um, I guess let's start, We, if we could do just like the couple sentence version of, of anyone that might be new to the show, like, uh, who are you, Graham, and, and why does that matter to someone that cares about Wolfrop? Okay, well, I'm a role-playing game writer back from the time when we had to carve our own dice out of Flint. Um, <laughs> I'm one of the original writers on Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, and uh, right now I'm working with Cubicle 7 to make the director's cut of the Enemy Within campaign for Wolfrop 4th Edition. Very cool, which of course we'll be talking about a lot of that today. You also have an excellent blog that you've started, which is grahamdavis.wordpress.com, where you put out consistent articles that are both about Warhammer and non-Warhammer topics. Can you tell us a little bit more about your blog? Yes, I, I've had it for a while, um, but the last year, year or so with uh, working so much on the, the enemy within director's cut, I kind of let it lapse. So I'm, I try to get it started up again and I try to post two or three times a week. Um, I've got one feature called Monday Maps where um, I find all kinds of uh, maps and floor plans of various buildings, not necessarily game related. Some of them are historical, um, but I, I look Look at uh, the layout and the uh, the functions of, of different kind of buildings, and hopefully that's useful for people to use in their games. And then the second post of the week is usually um, something I found that's cool that sort of gave me a, an idea. Uh, like I've been posting on um, a couple of posts on uh, rings with like secret compartments, or they turn into uh, astrological instruments if you unfold them. They're so cool. cool stuff like. And then uh, the last post of the week, which is usually on a Saturday, I try to do something a little more substantial. It may be Wolfrop related. It may be not. Um, currently, I am working on a uh, hashtag secret project, which uh, people have figured out is going to be monster related. So I've done uh, a, a few posts on different monsters and I'm uh, kind of enlisting the uh, the readership, the public in general, to help me develop a nice system agnostic uh, format for describing monsters that will uh, be useful to uh, whatever game you uh, you play. Sure. And uh, over the last 30, it was, it was monsters really that got me into role playing in the first place, specifically the skeletons in Jason and the Argonauts, those Harry Housen classics. Mm -hmm. And um, I've always been very fascinated by the monsters of mythology and folklore. And um, over the years, I've 
compiled notes on probably a thousand or maybe a few more more than a thousand creatures from all over the place and uh, i'm finally getting around to doing something with them and that's part of uh, of that exercise yeah that's awesome i've been really excited about some of the stuff that you've done um gong farmers was a big one for me um and you actually took uh, i think feedback on that and you had a, a whole fourth edition rule set for gong farmers which uh i thought was awesome yeah, that's right. I, I A few years ago, I did one for first, second and third, just more or less as an intellectual exercise. But um, then fourth edition came along. And uh, coincidentally, I read in an archaeology magazine, um, there was this great article, there's a link from the blog post about um, the uh, the gong farmers working in the, the Netherlands in the Middle Ages. And that enabled me to create a whole four level career for them and it was just such fun yeah and it, what's more appropriate for a, a woofer right exactly that's oh man and i i was a little so gong farmer i think kind of got incorporated into like a different career in in the uh in fourth edition um i i think it might have fell under the uh, peasant career mm-hmm. um but like uh i always felt like it deserved its own just because it's I mean, it's not necessarily iconic, like a rat catcher, but like when you think Warhammer and Gong Farmer is like, just fits, fits perfect. People do tend to spend a lot of time in the sewers. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Um, And that's the Amarilli spear ring. That really geeked me out. I, I, I had so many ideas for like a wizard and I have a wizard of heavens in my game. So like, I'm, I'm trying to think of a way to incorporate that. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, all right. So you obviously, obviously some real great posts on the blog. So go check that out, guys. Uh, we actually have a direct uh, link for that too. So if you can't remember, just go oldworldpodcast.com slash Graham blog. Um, that'll take you straight to his blog or grahamdavis.wordpress.com. Um, so, uh, and Graham, you have several non-Warhammer related things going on in addition to your blog, um, including a new book, uh, More Deadly Than Male or Than the Male. And then, um, obviously, you've also done, anyone in the uh, video gaming world has an idea of some of the recent work you've been doing on the upcoming game, Solasta. Am I saying that right? Is it Solasta? Yes. Uh, well, Solasta, yeah, it's um, solastagame.com will get you all the information on that. Um, it's a computer role-playing game, single-player, four-character Um Reminiscent to me of the old classic gold box D&D books, uh, games rather. Um, uh, very faithful to 5th edition. We've actually signed papers with uh, Wizards of the Coast uh, to cover that. Oh, great. And, uh, and can you tell the, us a little bit about your book as well? The the more deadly uh, in the mail? Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, that is um, the second of, of three uh compendiums, anthologies, that's the word, three anthologies that uh, I've worked on over the last few years um, of classic um, genre fiction. Um, I did the first one a few years ago. It was called Colonial Horrors, and um, that was based on the premise that um, in American Gothic fiction, the, the setting is the colonial era. It's 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 iconic, you know, from the Crucible to uh, Sleepy Hollow, everything else. Um, 
just in the same way as in the European Gothic, you've got to have a ruined monastery or a crumbling castle on a mountaintop in a city. Hmm. Uh, and then uh, More Deadly Than the Male was the second uh, anthology that I put together. And as the name suggests, that's showcasing the work of female authors in the early days of the of horror fiction. And, and here's a statistic that I came across. During the first golden age of horror in the, the last few decades of the 19th century, as much as 70% of short-form horror fiction was written by um, and uh, it's mostly been forgotten. You know, we know about Mary Shelley. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people don't know that, um, say, Harriet Beecher Stowe wrote ghost stories or that huh. uh, Louisa May Alcott wrote one of the very first mummy stories. Really? And wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, uh, the more I looked, the more I found. And uh, so eventually I put them together into a book. And uh, then the third one, I, I uh, stepped aside from horror fiction briefly into detective fiction, and it's called The Rivals of Sherlock Holmes. Oh, and yeah. And that, uh, that covers detective fiction from the very earliest uh, in the English language to um, the contempt, those that might have inspired uh, Conan Doyle when he was writing Holmes, to some of the contemporary, and then also those who tried to step into the gap after uh, Doyle killed Holmes off sure. in the fi- final problem and uh, before he, he brought him back uh, later on. So, uh, yeah, those three. And I I'm, I'm, can't go into too many particulars, but I'm, I'm pitching uh, several more anthologies um, in various genres. Uh, for, one is the the foundations of, uh, of steampunk, you know, the, the actual original, what science fiction did look like in the 19th century. And I've got a couple of other horror ideas that are uh, in development. Very cool. That's definitely stuff that we'll be looking forward to. I'm sure a lot of folks will too. Well, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Before we get on too far into the show, we'd like to take a minute to thank our outstanding Patreon backers for their generous donations to help make this show possible. Yeah, first up is Alexander R. Thank you, Alexander. Thank you, Alexander. We definitely appreciate it. Yeah, he's reached out to us quite a few times, actually. So he's a good guy. Yeah. I like him. All right, second up, we're going to thank Anthony Roggen. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you, Anthony. Appreciate it. I must say, on Anthony's behalf, it's actually pronounced Reagan. And, uh, <laughs> you got one wrong. I was, uh-huh. if, yes. if, if, <laughs> you're and calling me up for getting one wrong. Because... <laughs> If you if you know the history of Wolfrop, you'll recognize his name. He uh, worked on the very earliest Marienburg material in first edition. Wow. Um, I have to go back and look at that. I guess I didn't realize that. That's very cool. Yeah, well, hey, Anthony, I apologize and, for uh, <laughs> mispronouncing your last name. And it wasn't me, Anthony. It was Matt. Just remember it's that. <laughs> it's all right. I, I had to ask him as well. So, uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, he did. Uh, he did uh, Marienburg sold down the river for Hogshead. He did the Marienburg stuff in White Dwarf. He did Sigmar's heirs for second edition. That's awesome. Um, with uh, with Wolfram. 
That's awesome. That's awesome. So, and we have one last Nathan Brown. I think I got that one right. And <laughs> nailed it. Nailed it. Um, and Nathan actually, he's actually been sending me uh, some cool information. We've been uh, about his games. Like he's running a, a game and kind of giving me the update of what they're going on there in Uber's Reich and uh, dealing with a river troll in their last session. Mm. So I'm actually, I told him, man, keep sending it my way, man. I, I love hearing that. So. Yeah, very cool. Thanks. Thanks, Nathan. Yes, thank you. Thank you all so much for your support. If you'd like to join these fine folks and buy us a beer or some tea, make sure to hop on over to our Patreon page and support us. For only a couple of dollars a month, you can help us continue to bring you discussion and actual play in the grim and gritty world of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. Right. And I, I wanted to call an audible here, too, real quick. Yeah. Just, uh, I know we talked about this a little bit earlier, but if if you weren't aware, our Patreon recently hit the hundred dollar mark. Woo! Yeah, so we're that's great because now we're self sufficient. We we actually have enough money now that we can actually pay the bills and keep the servers running and not have to dig into our own pockets for it, which is awesome. It's great. We couldn't have done it without all of our patrons. We yeah, this has really been a dream come true being able to to bring it to this point, and we're excited to see where we go in the future. And as part of one of those, as part of one of our goals for doing that is that we opened a merch store. So um, it's on Zazzle. Uh, it's a merch store with a bunch of cool old world podcast stuff. So you can go check it out. Um, and uh, we have a couple of different ways. But the easy way to remember is you go to oldworldpodcast.com uh, slash store or slash shop or slash merch. Just remember store, shop, merch, one of those. You type in oldworldpodcast.com slash store. It'll take you right to the, the Zazzle store. You can check out. We have a bunch of cool stuff with logos and things. So Yeah, apparel, some drinkware, including a killer beer sign. Yeah, that beer sign is legit. Yeah. So, yeah. So, definitely go check it out, guys. So, um, but and we're getting close to the meat of the show here, but we did want a real t- quick touch on a couple of things. So, I wanted to figure out what kind of gaming have you guys been up to. So, Matt, why don't we start with you? Um, what kind of gaming have you been up to lately? So, recently, by recently, earlier today, we uh, <laughs> I GM'd the all the Oral World podcast folks through one of the Uber's Reich adventures, and it was awesome. We made a couple minor adjustments at the beginning to um, kind of spice things up, I guess, including giving our wizard the uh, access to some spells that they wouldn't normally have. And that ended up paying dividends throughout the whole episode yeah, because <laughs> some miscasts happened, some epic moments happened, but it was a lot of fun. And it that's going to end up being uh, a vault episode. Yeah, keep yeah. ears open because that'll be on our Patreon vault in the coming months. Yeah, And that was Bait and Witch. Was, Bait and Witch. Yeah, yep. that was – and Matt GM'd it. It was awesome. I got to be a player. And we used the, uh, we used the pre-gens from The Enemy Within. So – um, I actually played Johan, the boatman. Yep. We also had Wanda, the wizard, and uh, uh, Bull, something Bull, um, the halfling. Gosh. Harbull. Harbull. Oh, Harbull. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it was a great game. Yeah. Uh, and Janet Janet played the uh She played the Harbull. She, she killed it. She, she did such a good she job. She did so good. So it's it's awesome. For, for, I, I didn't expect her to go the transition from the, the high elf to the, the halfling. Yeah. She did it. Yeah. It was awesome. So. Yeah, it was good. What about you, Lance? Um, honestly, uh, besides playing in that game, Final Fantasy VII Remake recently came out. I'm a, it, it, I'm a huge Final Fantasy. Well, not it's the demo. I'll be clear. The demo came out. I'm a huge Final Fantasy fan. You probably know from I, I bring that up a lot. Um, so I'm super excited about it. Played it through. Absolutely love the demo. I'm excited to get Final Fantasy VII Remake on my PlayStation. I've already taken two days off of work for when it comes out. So 
I'm I'm pretty excited. So that's that's about it. You also ran some some uh, oh. woof up that wasn't old world podcast related. Well, actually, it's going to be vault content as well. That's a good point. Um, I actually, yeah. So my cousins came over. They're really excited about this book we're talking about tonight, the companion. And so we created uh, a couple of cultists from uh, using the rules in this this uh, companion book, and I ran them through a modified version of uh, Night of Blood, except they're cultists they're bad cultists instead of like the quote-unquote good guys if you can really have good guys in warhammer right <laughs> true so that was a lot of fun a lot of magic a lot of miscast so um we'll get that edited down and get that into our uh, vault sometime as well so what about you graham what have you been up to gaming wise well gaming wise i haven't been playing much but i've been um catching up with cubicle seven we've got um the writing of uh, Empire and Ruins is uh, just underway now, uh, and we've had some discussions with Cubicle 7 and Games Workshop on the outlines, and we finally got the green light for that, which is uh, yes. very good. And uh, aside from that, I've been putting together some stuff for um, uh, Dev Diary uh, uh, entries uh, for the... Uh, the high-level subscribers. I can't remember if the developer diaries are only for the people who order the uh, uh, the luxury set or whether it's uh, the collector's edition, I mean, or whether it's more general. Anyway, I've been doing that and uh, also keeping up with uh, writing and narrative design work for the Solasta computer role-playing game, uh, which I believe is uh, um, not, well, I probably shouldn't say when it's due. Uh, I'm not sure what I'm allowed to say about that. Um, and uh, otherwise, I've been working away on my uh, my secret projects, the the monster one that I've already mentioned, and another one. Ooh, secret project. Keeping busy. Yep. Yeah, I actually I took a look at the Solasta game, and that that looks like it could be a lot of fun. I yeah. definitely was getting. Uh, feelings of like Diablo and Torchlight and some of those other adventure RPGs. It looks really cool. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, yes, partly uh, inspired by that. Uh, but the, one of the things that I think it does really, really, or two of the things, actually, one is um, it embraces the third dimension. There's a lot of vertical play. Mm. So you can actually use your flight spells and your spider climb, and there are monsters that can climb and uh, you know so it really opens the the tactics out rather than playing on a flat and um, the second thing is they they use light in a way that I haven't seen done before um, so that uh, you know it controls not only what you can see but who can see you uh, sure and, um, there are some some creatures that are sensitive to light and will be repelled Ooh. by so that makes it a nice tactical element very cool Awesome. All right. Well, uh, let's let's get to announcement and news. Uh, this is a part of the show where we keep you up to date on Woofrup and related news. And we have a lot to go through. We're going to go through this pretty quickly here. So you want to get us started, Matt? Yeah. In Cubicle 7 related news, uh, one of the biggest stories that's came out in the last little bit is one that we were a little shocked to hear. But uh, Ben Sherry is no longer working for Cubicle 7. He, of course, was the assistant producer for Woofrup 4th Edition. We had him on the show 
um, like six last year. Ago, yeah, a little bit. Like yeah, somewhere yeah. in there. And we had a great time talking to him. Uh, it's a bummer that he's not going to be with the company anymore, and and we definitely wish him all the best. Yeah, he he's done almost all the blogs, I think, or, or yeah. good more a good part of them, which which we have raved about yeah, yeah. constantly we did the whole episode that we did with him was using one of his blogs as a basis to right. build adventures um he works on the gm screen which we absolutely love um and he did several starter set adventures including the uh the hassle of johannes johan hoffman johan hoffman i know that's man we gotta i'm i'm waiting he's he's told us he's gonna run that for us and i'm super excited about that well we gotta connect with him still um yeah, so just it was a little surprising, you know. Andy Law, you know, the main producer, and then Ben Sherry, the associate producer, for well, for both, uh, you know, uh, moving on to different things. Um, so it was a it was a bit of a surprise, but I know um, we actually were just talking to you, Graham. Uh, and I'm gonna say this wrong, Pagrid, I think. Is that, it? Is that right? Oh, Podrick. Podrick. It's- Padraig. So yes, Padraig. it sounds yeah. it sounds like he's doing a great job and that you're real happy with him. And, and if there's anyone whose opinion I trust about Roofrup, it's Graham Davis. So um, yes, yes. Padraig Murphy is the new uh, Roofrup producer for Cubicle 7. There's a little profile of him on the uh, Cubicle 7 website. And um, yeah, he, he and I have been in communication a lot um, through the various upheavals and and um, things are, from my point of view, at least settling down very nicely. So uh, as uh, the old uh, poster and meme has it, keep calm and carry. Yeah, and honestly, everything that we've seen that's came out from Cubicle 7 that's Warhammer related, we've been extremely happy with. And I know when seeing news like this, it can be easy to jump to conclusions and to fear the worst. But at the end of the day, I am not going to really judge what's going on until I get a product that is that I'm really not happy with and that hasn't happened yet. And I don't foresee that happening in the future. So I'm, I'm pretty confident going forward, you know, which isn't to say that, uh, uh, Andy and Ben won't be missed. They, um, but, um, from my point of view, again, things are, are settling down and, uh, and moving forward. Nice. Um, okay. also let me just give a quick plug because both, um, Ben and Andy, are uh, are blogging and since you covered my blog earlier i should mention uh andy has a a blog called lawham which is uh always worth a look he just did a really long article on small medium and large but vicious dogs um including careers for dogs so uh figure that out or or levels at least um it's well worth a look and uh, ben has just started a blog called uh uh, liber etc uh, that's etc. spelled out in and actually no, it's liberetc.blogspot.com. Um and he's continuing the uh, the high quality of writing that he did for the Cubicle Seven uh blog post. Um yeah. so those are both uh I recommend both of those very high. And finally, uh, um, now this is a, an old world podcast exclusive. This is the first announcement of this. Um, but um, Andy and Ben and I and a few other people are starting a project which we are calling The Rookery. Um, there's uh, a Twitter account just opened. Uh, let me see if I can find it. Yeah, at Rookery P. Uh, um, 
there's nothing there at the moment, but that's the place to to go, and we will announce uh, more information as we feel we can. It's going to be role play related, and uh, we're all very excited about the future. That is very exciting. Lance, you're sitting right across me. You can attest. I have goosebumps right now. <laughs> you just hearing that uh, the three of you are working together on that is that um, is let me, exciting. Let me, uh, just, let me just name check the uh, the rest of the crew because uh, yeah. we also have Lindsay Law, who was one of the writers on the uh, fourth edition rulebook along with Andy. Uh, we have Andy Leesk, who was uh, so instrumental in the uh, the starter set and the description of Uber's Reich, and who also very graciously gave Bogenhafen the uh, the same treatment for Enemy and, and he did uh, Bog King, uh, I think, too. He's done a lot, and it's very very good. <laughs> and uh, on the art side, we have Mark Gibson. Wow, Mark Gibson too. <laughs> so uh, yeah. We are, we've been talking for a couple of months and we finally decided to pull the trigger on this thing and uh, more news will come out as and when. Uh, but there's, uh, as I say, at rookery.p on Twitter, uh, there's a Facebook group uh, called, I think, The Rookery. Let me just find that so I can confirm that. Yeah, we'll, we'll uh, go ahead and make sure these get in our show notes as well. So yeah. um, when we get this posted and we'll link to them on our sites and everything. So that's awesome. Yep. I'm super yeah. excited. I cannot wait to see what, what you guys have in store. We're very excited to. Um, and I think that's really all I can say at the moment. But uh, Well, that's enough. I was going to say, <laughs> that's enough to... to... We, we, we are just going to have so much fun, the six of us. And... Uh, you know, uh, we hope everyone will enjoy the and, and the process and 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 join in. Um, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, I think. Just to make it easy for you, if you're looking to find those blogs, uh, just go to Old World Podcast slash Ben Blog or Old World Podcast slash Andy Blog or Old World Podcast slash Graham Blog. And so it's nice and easy for you to remember. Just go ahead, go check out those blogs; they're all great. Uh, the dog article is great from Andy Law. Um, ben had an article on Talayans and rules for using them in fourth edition, which is something I, I desperately wanted, which I was super excited. And he plans to do other uh, different um, areas of the Warhammer world and cultures and stuff too. So um, that's awesome. And uh, it is really great to see that uh, that they're still staying really active in the Warhammer community. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Wow, man, that's just... Graham dropping, dropping it like it's hot, man. <laughs> so I, I've been burning to tell people for a couple of months now. And, um, it's, uh, it's going to be exciting. So that is the two, uh, hashtag secret projects that, uh, that I've been teasing for a while on my blog and Twitter. Very cool. Well, rest assured that we will be aggressively following at rookery P <laughs> on Twitter couple other quick news hits. There was some updates on the other 2020 releases. Uh, this information can be found at cubicle7games.com slash wolfrup hyphen update. Uh, talking about Middenheim, the city of the White Wolf. There's going to be details on the city of Middenheim uh, with both uh, events that take place before and after the enemy within. With the current expected PDF release of Q3 of this year. 
and then also Altdorf, which is going to include a detailed map by the mad cartographer Oswald the Vestidious. I'm excited about that. With uh, NPC hooks, locations, of course, all the the stuff that we've been uh, that we're used to seeing at this point. Details on the political, religious structures of the empire before and after the enemy within, new talents, endeavors, all those good things. And that is tentatively the PDF for that'll be out in Q4. Yeah, I'm actually of the two. I'm more excited about Altdorf just because it's with all the colleges of magic and everything, it's always a very interesting city to tie down. A lot of politics with it, a lot of magic, a lot. I, so I'm super excited. But Middenheim has its own deep histories without going into too much of, you know, the enemy within or different things. It's, it's, I'm excited about both of those. So, um, Though the enemy within, speaking of the enemy within, the death in the Reich and its companion. Now, according to that article, the next PDF release is supposed to be quarter one of 2020. We're already partway through almost to the end of quarter one. Uh, Graham, are you able to confirm? Is that date still looking like it's going to happen? To be honest with you, I I haven't heard. Um, I do know that it's been in editing and production. I don't know how far along it is, um, but I haven't heard that it's going to miss that date okay. so i i know as much as anyone else <laughs> <laughs> all right so we're excited about that the three of us were talking before we started recording here and matt and i are so incredibly excited for the next companion and the the reich uh, companion um so we're just can't wait so um the gm screen uh it's been sent to the printer so i wanted to throw that out um Here's an actual fun uh, article, the Kemper Bad Lonely Hearts column. Um, and it, I have to ask, Graham, did you have anything to do with that uh, article? Nope. No, that one wasn't me. No? Okay. So it had just the amount of kind of cheeky, fun. I, I thought it might have been you, but I, I, I couldn't find out who actually wrote it. So, but um, yeah, that one was fun. It was like a Valentine's, like, hey, message board. You know, I'm a witch hunter. Come find me. I'm looking for you. You know, just interesting, fun play on a Valentine's in the Warhammer world. So it was really cool. Such an interesting concept to consider is you don't normally think of what Valentine's Day would be like in the old world. But uh, I can imagine a pretty fun adventure or a session could be uh, how that plays out. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. And, and, you know, speaking of someone who's been involved with Warhammer since the beginning, I love love to see the humor side of it con- uh, continuing and other people taking up the uh, the torch of silliness as Mike Brunton would have said <laughs> all right there was one other PDF another first edition PDF was released allowing us all to get more of that content that's been out of print for a while this time it's the Warhammer companion which is a ten dollar PDF available at drive through RPG this one includes four complete adventures, as well as articles covering character careers, rules for magic items and spells, weapons, and uh, a new system for uh, armor damage. And that can be found at cubicle7.games.com. An, an oldie but a goodie. So. That's right. It's actually one of the uh, rarest um, supplements for first edition. Um, it was printed in a very small number. It was one of the uh, Flame Publications books. And uh, I'm very glad to to see it being available again for first edition fans. All that stuff is so good. On to other news. So we already talked a little bit about blogs. I had one other blog I wanted to mention. Um, It's been around in the Warhammer world for a while. We've mentioned it before on this show. Um, And that's It Always Rains in Nuln. 
Um, this has been a Warhammer fantasy roleplay blog and, and other things as well for a long, long time. Always been great articles on there. This is, uh, and I'm probably going to say this wrong, but uh, Zarthrodox86. Um, did I get it? Zathrodox? Zathrodox. So I know, I know, Graham, you uh, were on with him and the Mud and Blood crew for one of their shows last year sometime. Uh, That's right. Yeah, so he's a, he's a pretty good guy. Um, I've, he's been a big supporter of us. Yeah, yeah, I've talked to him a lot in Twitter and stuff like that. Um, but he has a great article series right now on his favorite player characters, and most of them are Wolfrip. I think I, if I'm caught up, I think they're all Wolfrip characters, and there's some really good ones. Um, my favorite is this dwarf Orzad Drokli. And just the way I, like, he, I love how you can pronounce Warhammer names easier than you can pronounce <laughs> actual human beings. Well, what can I say? So <laughs> we, so we know where your priorities lie. Yeah, it's true. So, but the way this dwarf dies is awesome. I don't want to steal any thunder from his uh, articles. So uh, definitely go check it out. Um, it's at always rains in or as we are now doing oldworldpodcast.com slash it always rains in Nuln. So, uh, go ahead and check those out and, uh, just a great thing. So yeah. Also make sure to check out one of our battlefield allies. Garblag games has released the final season of Flint and steel, which is season three. Give them support. Check out their YouTube channel and their podcast. They do great work and we really appreciate them. They do. And that, that final episode is season three. So I got to talk to Pete and get with him. I don't know if he's planning a season four or not, but like every time he's like, all right, we're closing the book on Woofrup. Like the, there's a massive amount of like, we want more. So he does another season. So I mean, we can, we keep talking about having some crossover episodes. I'm telling you, man, we need to go to UKGE, get that hooked up. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. One of these years. That's right. <laughs> In other news, uh, Warhammer the Old World. So uh, uh, Steve and I used to be the big Warhammer players back in the day. They released a new map. Um, Andy Law actually did an article in his blog about the map and some of the changes and differences between what we see like in the old Warhammer maps and Woofrup. Um, I can tell you that Games Workshop has not certainly enforced any sort of real like hardcore like canon rules. on uh, The maps change all the time, basically. <laughs> so... It's interesting. Uh, I, I'm i not an expert on all of it. it to be 100% honest, it looks pretty much thing the same to me. But Andy Law, I know, who is like really into the map side of it and knows like by heart all that stuff. His article talks about several different things that are like, you know, different from positions of stuff on the map and stuff. So it's an interesting article. We really don't know more about that battle game. But I just want to bring it up because it is such a huge, huge part of Steve and I's at least background in Warhammer. So. Whew. And I think that's it. Is that all our news? I believe so. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so let's get into our main topic, the main show, uh, the show today. All right, so, um, again, uh, we have probably, I we keep saying this, Matt and I are so excited about this, for sure. Um, this is probably our favorite book that's been released since the core rulebook, um, just the companion for The Enemy in Shadows. Um, so... Anyway, let's just get into it. So, uh, Old Worlders, be sure to read the rules on Dar before you get too deep into your corruption. And your mutations could be a problem for you, so you better review and listen as we go over the Enemy in Shadows companion on tonight's episode of the Old World Podcast. Let's dive in. Yep. Uh, just a quick reminder, too, if you're looking for the review of the 
Enemy Within, um, Enemy in Shadows uh, adventure book. That's in episode 23 of the Old World podcast. Graham, you joined us for that as well. So if you're looking to get caught up on that before you listen to this, check out episode 23. Okay. So first off, all right. So this is... Uh, when I opened up the companion, like one of my favorite things, and I think I mentioned this before, is the Barabelli. It is a, a a beautiful ship with a map of the ship, and I love maps. I love maps of ships, but they have a piece of artwork right next to it that's beautiful. So, like, I just I just wrote down in my notes the boat map. I'm so excited about it. I'm just going to mention it. I mean, it's a it's a useful tool if you're going to use any. You could use it for any real river boat or barge any in your game, but I don't know. I'm probably spending too much time talking about it. I'm just excited. Well, about not necessarily. Map. I think it's important to remember that normally when you think maps, you're assuming it's going to be a map of like terrain or a whole countryside or mm-hmm. a building, but you could, you could make maps of other things too. And in this case, maybe it's not the Barabelli, but if your, your players have a boat that they frequent and it's their boat that they're on often have them draw a map of the boat or art for the boat. And then anytime that something gets added, you can edit actually on the map or to the art and uh, just another way to kind of immerse your players and have them buy into what's right. happening. Right. And in the death and the right companion, correct me if I'm wrong on this, Graham, but we're basically getting uh, rules on like pimp your boat, right? Like to create your own yes. river barge. Yes. yes, we are. They, uh, it's something that uh, we discussed. Uh, I discussed with cubicle seven quite a bit. It's um, getting so Let's take the bear belly as uh, a standard, basic, medium-sized riverboat. And then, so you have one of those. Now, what do you do with it? And we know player characters are going to want to put, uh, like, a repeating baluster in the front. Of or course. A, a dwarven steam engine in the back or, you know, st- whatever. Uh, extra armor plating, a ram, um, more cargo capacity. So, um, yeah, the death on the right companion will contain um, rules for all of this kind of stuff um, under the uh, the title Pimp My Barge. Is that literally what the title is? That was the title as I submitted it. We'll have to see if it made it through editing. <laughs> That's awesome. Yes. I cannot wait. All right. So I, I we, we're going to get into this. So guest commentary. So this is something that I thought was super cool. Um, it, the Enemy Within is not your normal like hey we're gonna create a an adventure here or even we're gonna recreate a good old adventure it's we're gonna recreate the are like arguably uh most people would agree one of the best uh you know adventure series like campaigns ever written for role-playing and so when you do that and you go back there's a lot of people that have had those experiences and these letters these uh guest commentaries are really interesting and um i just I, i'm super excited so there are two that are in here uh phil gallagher and, and obviously graham davis and uh these are, are excellent they talk about um well i don't want to kind of ruin them or you you can read them yourself but um there's a lot of good stuff in there um like they even mentioned the magic system and some of the things how things went through with that i know you've talked about that too in the past graham and can we and that's maybe that's a question i want to ask graham are can we expect these guest commentaries to be in every companion book uh that is the plan yes awesome yes well i i got in touch with a whole bunch of people from the old days and um uh, each 
book, each companion is uh, planned to have two guest commentaries. Um, so uh, I won't tip my hand on, on who I've got in which companion just yet. But uh, yeah, uh, I rounded up as many people as I could find from the old days and got their memories of, uh, of how it was when we did it the first That's awesome. All right, the first main chapter of the Enemy in Shadows Companion talks about Easter eggs. And we've known for a long time that you don't shy away from throwing little tidbits and Easter eggs throughout all of the Warhammer products. Uh, we can look back at the starter set, and it's already been mentioned today, the hassle of Johann Hoffman is such a fun little thing <laughs> that you might you know, not even recognize it at first, but once you realize that it's in there, it's really it's really fun. And there's there's no shortage of... Easter eggs throughout the enemy in shadows. Uh, even earlier today, we played the, the one shot and Lance, you played as Johan Das Boot, which is a reference to the old, uh, the U boats and the movie, 1981 movie Das Boot, which, right. Yep. Yeah. Very cool. Do you have a favorite Graham? Um, yeah, I think once upon a time has to be my absolute favorite. <laughs> That's, uh, it's the one that gets the most groans when people figure it. And, <laughs> um, uh, it actually, uh, I borrowed it. Um, back in college, I was uh, running a Call of Cthulhu campaign and um, a classmate of mine uh, who was very fond of puns uh, named his character, uh, his Austrian psychoanalyst character, uh, Heinrich von Sponatheim. So uh, that's where I stole that from. So uh, I'm only partially guilty. Let's put it. <laughs> no, it's it's awesome. And reading about these. So and I, I'm really glad you put this in there because um, a lot of those because I don't know, I'm an American. So I know a lot of uh, people in the UK or in, in Europe have they speak multiple languages or at least have a lot more exposure to multiple languages than maybe we do over here in the United States, or at least me personally. And um, so this actually, there are several in here that I was like, oh, I didn't know that. Now I get it. And that's funny. So, but there, there are still some we get, like uh, the one I had, I can't believe I, I looked pie at like a hundred times, despite reading about it online was on the new one in the fourth edition was one of the quotes for the priest of more, the more, more. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like the, and it's like, People are saying this is a thing. Why am I not recognizing it? And finally, I think, Matt, you're the one that's like, Lance, go listen to this song. And, yeah. I went, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I missed that. So, Yeah, it's fine. Graham, you mentioned that, uh, you know, just keeping it light and keeping things fun and, and silly at times, which I think is good to have in a system that can be so dark and violent at times, having things that kind of brighten it up and just just keep it silly and keep yeah. it fun. Well, the humor throws the horror into into greater relief, and uh, we all—I yeah, think anyone who has role play, um, has had those moments where everything breaks down and people just give way to complete silliness, and everybody's cracking each other up. And we wanted to respect that side of the hobby as well. And I have to say that with that more, more, more. Um, was uh, the first joke that I saw in the uh, in the rule book, and that's the point at which I knew it was in exactly the right hands. <laughs> right. Awesome. And I believe I uh, don't have the rule book open in front of me, but I believe the um, it's attributed to a Wilhelm Ab 
Abgott or something like that, and Abgott is German for idol. Uh, see, yep. I didn't. Damn, so so many layers. Yeah, so many layers. That's yep. excellent. I, I literally need to go learn learn German, and then I'll probably I need to reread the rule book after I learn German. I bet you it would be great. <laughs> You're very dedicated, Lance. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, well, you know, as I, as I say in the Easter eggs, I just uh, we just had a, a tiny little pocket German English dictionary and and said out to have some fun uh we never expected that anyone who actually spoke german you know like a native german speaker would would ever see this and uh and there we are we were utterly shameless as a result <laughs> oh it's great all right so let's move on um chapter two the empire so this is like a breakdown of the empire and the of the realm and stuff so like this gives you an idea of how the empire functions, like both as a political entity and kind of a breakdown on culture. And so the empire is so big and Warhammer lore is so large and it's, there's so much to it that, and in the core rule book can't give you all of the lore that you might want. Right. So I can tell you, like, even uh, I'm going through the core rule book and I'm like, great. So uh, one of the areas we adventure in in our actual play is Zonstadt. Uh, there's a city, Zonstadt, and so we created an entire like barony surrounding it, and we use examples from what we've seen in in like the uh, the starter set and in the core rule book. Um, but one of the things I learned while I was going through kind of creating our own version of a barony in the Empire was like, man, I really don't understand how the Empire works, right? And and so this chapter helps a lot with that. And there was something similar in first edition, and this is a little bit different. And maybe, Graham, I'm going to start there. Because essentially, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but the first edition, Enemy Within, had a whole section on the Empire. This is meant to be, you know, the fourth edition replacement for that. But it actually does more, or maybe you could say in a different way. How would you, how would you compare the two? Um, I would say they are very very close um what you've got here is actually an edited and co corrected version of the text from the original enemy within which was the first ever description of the empire um and so this is the situation in 2512 when the uh, campaign begins and um, it's a little different from the state of the empire uh as it's reflected in later Games Workshop products and uh, part of one of the threads of the Enemy Within campaign is going to be the process of getting from the state in, in 2512 to uh, the current status in the Warhammer game and explaining how, showing how all of those changes came about um, but, but that's probably something to discuss uh, if you have me on in due course to talk about empire and ruins i can't wait for sure let's mark that in the calendar um no this is so this is great so here's something i would say about this so this is uh, uh it's it's a section of text that i would say if if you pick up the core rule book and you're going to run a campaign in the empire for your players if you're going to run any sort of campaign um, or any sort of long-term several ventures, you this section alone, if you don't already have the good 
background of the empire is worth it. And even if you do, this helped clarify several things for me. So I'm totally not going to say this correct, but imperial plenipotentiaries. I don't think I said Pl- that. Plenipotentiary. Nice. Yeah. You just said it, and I still don't think I could say it. But it's, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's that's one of uh, Phil's creations. He was always very good on the the politics and diplomacy side of things. Um, it's a uh, it's basically a um, super diplomat. Plenipotentiary comes from a uh, Latin root meaning full of power. So uh, he's, he's almost a sort of a regent without portfolio who wanders around. Um, uh, enforcing the emperor's will in various places. See, and, and there's two paragraphs under here, and that right there, because one of the questions I always had, like in the back of my mind, I never thought about is how the heck does the empire function as a political entity? The emperor has power, but his nobles hardly, like, they don't listen to him. They listen to him sometimes. They get out of taxes, but then he does other taxes. Like, it talks about all of that in all of this. And the, the Pleno, those guys, those are like another way for the emperor to exert his control over, you know, outlying areas and stuff too. So I guess what I'm getting at is this is great information, um, talking about electors, talking about the emperor, um, you know, the guilds, even guild structure, um, free towns, right? How the taxes and revenues and laws and, and all that impact the empire and your, and in turn, understanding that will help you make, help you to create a a world that will be more Warhammer. Sure. Well, I also think it it's important to know your players, right? If they would really get into something that has a lot of political intrigue, this would be an extremely important chapter to read. At the same time, you know, I can think back to kind of a prime example of uh, something being over-politicized was the Star Wars prequel movies. that They added that in there when it wasn't something that people really wanted and it, you know almost tainted those movies a little bit or, or brought them down because it was, there was too much politics that was involved in it. But I don't think that's the case. Again, it's really going to come down to what you and your players are going to enjoy. And if, you know, digging in and having some heavy political intrigue is something you like, then definitely check this out. Another thing I definitely, we're not going to get through this chapter without talking about are all the adventure hooks that are in just this chapter alone. I want to say there's four or five, um, you know, multi-section uh, adventure hooks that talk about specific locations and ways that you can incorporate that into uh, an adventure. So very good stuff there as well. Yeah, it's almost like the, you know, the the adventure hook ideas that are in like Bogenhofen and stuff with uh, bullet points, except they're more fleshed out, like uh, in, in a lot of cases. Yeah, these are like a paragraph instead of, in some like cases, a, just a single sentence. Yeah. Which yep. sometimes is enough, but... So yeah, this and, is, gives you a little bit more, right? Right. So I, it's again, right? So like boxes throughout this that are great for you, even if you're like, I don't want to use this pre-made stuff, or I don't want to play the enemy within. Which I'm wondering what you're wanting to make an epic campaign. Why in the world would you not? But you could, you can take all of those adventure hook ideas. There's great ways, and I think the whole theme of fourth edition, we said this before, is you can make it your own version. And again, another tool throughout this book to help you do that. And then titles. I, I got to say, I was hoping, I was like, all right, here we go, titles. Because I can tell you, Graham, when, when we created Zonstadt, and I'm like, okay. 
So I need a count it. I like got to figure out, I need all these rulers. What are they going to be? Are they going to be counties? Are they, I need to understand this. And then I started doing research and found out, man, it is not super consistent. And then I started doing real world research. And then I was like, whoa, it is really not consistent. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, um, and so this basically tells you, hey, here's kind of some guidelines, but guess what? It's not consistent. So, <laughs> yep. Oh, my legalistic mind doesn't like that, but it it's it's good. So. Yeah, it's, I mean, it, it mirrors real life, right? I mean, <laughs> right. Every that's every... right. As with all feudalism, it started out consistent, but then over years and centuries, various people negotiated for an exemption here and a difference there, and the whole thing just uh, became what it is. It's like American politics. No, let's not go there. <laughs> yeah. Ugh, pump the brakes on that, man. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's move on to chapter three, the emperor's roads and highways. So this is, it's only a couple pages long, um, but there's, there's a, a section. So first it gives you kind of just a really quick breakdown of how the roads in the empire work. Um, it talks about uh, Will, uh, Emperor Wilhelm the, uh, the Wise that, um, you know, set down laws on what the imperial highways should be. And, you know, set up how they would be built and, you know, how they would be funded. And so it's like, uh, and this was like within the last 50 years of imperial rule or uh, history here at this point. And yeah, that's right. I was I was kind of inspired by President Eisenhower and the interstate highway. I just got that. No, that works. Yeah, it's the same concept, right? So, and it's, yeah, but it talks about not just highways, major roads, minor roads, what to expect. I know it's just a simple thing, but that helped me have a good understanding of what a road might be. And um, I, I know this sounds silly, but even like on a major road, you might not be able to fit two carriages side by side. So one might have to pull over. And like, man, I don't know why, but I, the second I read that, I'm like, okay, there's an adventure. I have to get over. I have to stop you know, bandit, like there's so much you could do. It's just something I wouldn't even ever thought to narrate as a GM. And yeah. that gave me that idea. Yeah. And what happens if two nobles of equal rank face <laughs> each other on a narrow road, who gives way to whom and how do they. Okay. I, I could see a like month long stalemate of just these two <laughs> coaches standing off. Graham? Both unwilling to move for the other that's your next workshop adventure right there let's build an adventure <laughs> where the two nobles are, are in coaches refusing to budge they build up camps around each other they build like it gets bigger and bigger it becomes a political issue and the the player characters have to solve it and eventually it becomes a small town yeah yes, I was gonna there say, we yeah. Go. <laughs> yeah they end up having to fashion a separate road just to circumvent the <laughs> the two warring noble houses that haven't left the road in three years. See, and that's like a, if you wrote an adventure about that, that just sounds fun. Yeah. Or something that you just happen across. Yeah. Your party is traveling on the road. Oh man. Trying to get from A to B and. See, this is why I love having you on Graham. By the time I get done with an episode recording with you, like I really need to sit down with a notebook and just write down all the ideas we come across. Oh. Yeah, it, is, it is fun. Just kicking things around. 
Okay, so moving on, coaching houses. We talk about a bunch of different coaching houses. Um, I won't get too much into it, but they're interesting. They have background. They, their names make sense. They even talk about the idea of like bigger coaching houses buying out ends along their routes. So like they start to have monopolies, and it's just fascinating, right? And these are it just goes to tell you like those themes of Warhammer, where you can have things like class warfare like you know you talk about the merchant class up and rising and potentially you know challenging the noble houses and stuff here's like coaching houses and inns and having monopoly and a major trade route like that could be a great way you could put pressure on a noble house things like that it's just awesome it's it's almost like it was well thought out all right let's move Let's move to our, this is my probably favorite section so far that we're talking about. Yeah, chapter four looks at mounts and vehicles. So this is going to help supplement the horse profiles that you can find in uh, the core rulebook on page 316. This talks about not only uh, beasts of burden like donkeys and ox, but also various different horses, uh, war horses, dogs, and it gives uh, great art for each one, which is always appreciated, but also all the stats for them, of course, and then a brief description as well. It also breaks down the cost and availability, which Huge. obviously the you know is the the more unavailable stuff like that is, the harder it's going to be to come across. Well, and having pre-done stats for this is is a big deal for me too, and. Like I, because I can just turn here and I go, okay, for whatever reason, my characters have obtained a donkey, and now it's a thing that I need to deal with as a GM, right? I can just go here, here's some stats, I'm good to go. Yeah. You know? Well, and I like how it has a stat block for each of these, but also a section that talks about what uh, are optional traits that they might have. Right. So you have your base traits, and then you you throw in the extra traits or the other optional traits just to, to make it more unique for the specific animal that you're going to have. And, and like halflings using dogs to pull carts and stuff like that too. Like it just, it's, I know it's simple and it's straightforward, but this is a kind of information like I want, right. And a supplement, right. I, I, I'm making, like, I remember when we first did, um, your first character auto, right. He was a merchant. He had a, like a pony and a cart and we didn't have stats for a pony. And we like, we had like, a hundred different ideas of how that pony might have come into the story. And we're like, we need stats for this pony. Right. And we just, we never got around to making them. The pony didn't really make an appearance in the, the, uh, the, the session. True. But like, if I had it here, I wouldn't have had to worry. We would have right? found, found some way to yeah, have it be exactly. important. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Well, having, having written the river life of the section for death on the rocks years ago, um, I realized very quickly that this kind of information that, you know, what's in chapters three, four and five, basically the companion, um, there was a gap there covering road travel. And so I, I pitched it at games workshop, got nowhere. And, uh, I pitched it various times down the years. And now for this, um, enemy in shadows companion, I finally had the opportunity to, to fill that gap and give people the information, uh, they need so that road travel can be covered in as much detail as river travel has always. Thank you. <laughs> Cause we, we love it. And, and actually that brings us to chapter five and man, there's so many good chapters in this, in this, uh, in this book. But I know, I think when when we talked on the phone, the first time we, we had this PDF in our hands, in our virtual hands, like the first thing Matt and I talked about was chapter five. Yep. And I think chapter five really in this book is pro possibly or likely the one that would get the most use because 
chapter five is all about travel and it breaks down travel in different ways, uh, different stages of travel and talking about endeavors during travel. Mm -hmm. We think uh, all the times that we've utilized the in-between adventures, it's always been when we're back at town, you know, three weeks elapse. what do you do? Well, as you're traveling throughout the empire, there's certainly going to be times when you're going to be traveling long distances and it's not just uneventful from point A to point B. There's all sorts of stuff that can happen and ways that you can improve and, you know, your characters can benefit from travel. So breaking travel down into multiple stages, um, which is determined like mostly by the GM, but also by your slowest character in the same way that if you have somebody who's injured, that's going to greatly slow your travel, which all leads into the travel endeavors of which there are a few. And honestly, this works largely the same way that the normal, um, yeah. between adventures works yeah. where you roll for, uh, in this case, weather, And depending on the weather, that's going to determine a lot of different factors. It even has a whole optional section about catching a cold, which if you're out in a heavy rainstorm or if it's snowing, the likelihood of catching the uh, common cold or pneumonia is going to be greatly increased in those situations. Yeah. So what I, and I'm probably, I'm paraphrasing here, but I think it was Tolkien that said something to the effect of, uh, it isn't the destination, but it's the journey. Right. Yeah. So yeah, and I know and this is a lot of what you were teasing us with, I think, on uh, the first Gen Con, Graham. Like, this is coming, and it's it's so good. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I, I wanted to do it for so long. It was such an obvious gap in the rules that uh, I was very excited about having the opportunity to do it. And now I hear it. What was your favorite part of this chapter that, that you were excited, most excited to write? Um, I think my favorite part was the the weather and the effects that has on the road um because in you know knowing what i do about european history um and if you've ever done any off-road uh travel um the weather is critical if it's dry that's great but if it's true too dry the road goes dusty and rutted if it's wet it can turn to mud and if you have you know, little skinny stagecoach wheels, they'll bog down very quickly. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically, you know, taking, it's the Wolfrop tradition, taking something that uh, other games take for granted. You know, we travel from town A to village B and making it absolute hell on the play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what the game's all about, it, really. It is. I, I absolutely love it. It's because I, I was just thinking as you were saying that, um, right, so... Hey, that's a that's a week long journey, um, you know. Except it's like, oh, it rained. Now it's a three week journey, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, you and go. you're sick on top of that, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there are a handful of travel endeavors that take place as you're out going along. Uh, things like woodcraft, foraging, mapping a route, keeping watch, which are some things that we do normally, but it, they don't usually have the same kind of mechanical impact on the game like these do. Um, practicing a skill, recuperating, making camp. And one of the things that I like most is that depending on how well you roll during the, um, during the endeavor, that's going to trigger a positive coincidental or harmful encounter that's going to happen to your character. Uh, and there are some of these, of course, are three separate tables that you get to roll on and there's some great stuff, some really interesting things that can happen and, just another way to, to keep it 
fresh and and keep your, your players on their toes. Tables, things that Matt loves. It's true. Yeah, and I, I have to just take a moment to give Anne massive props here for this chapter and for all the others because when I was writing this, just as when I was writing uh, Enemy and Shadows itself, um, the rule book was still in kind of a state of flux. So um, I, I submitted a manuscript which had charming little notes all over it, like insert rules here. So, uh, and Andy did that and he's, he's made it great. Uh, as you say, with the travel endeavors and the, uh, the encounters that uh, flow from there. So, uh, yeah, I was, I was only really able to uh, point out an intention and uh, Andy made it all work. Yeah, I even just some of the like in the harmful encounters, like the name of one of them is even nature hates you. Like, mm-hmm. I that's just like I I want to roll that just because of the name. Yeah, <laughs> and even within that one, it mentions you know it could be deadly animals, lightning storm, disease, or insects. And now I just have it in my head like a swarm of bees just like oh, starts no. you know overtaking your coach or your party and how much fun that could be to role play. Oh my gosh. So, so Graham, I wish you like could uh, like be in person with us when we do these, we, as Matt and I look at each other, like smiling, like, you know, little kids when we talk about this stuff, we just get so excited. Oh, well, I'm so glad you're enjoying it. It's certainly very, uh, it was certainly a lot of fun to do. All right. So well, I was going to say travel wouldn't be the same or you wouldn't have travel without there being uh, potential mishaps, which can always happen anytime that you're traveling on uh, in some sort of uh, mount. There is a breakdown on here too of the different speeds, uh, broken down by the different mounts. Of course, certain mounts are going to be able to go a lot faster if they're not weighed down by a, l- a bunch of uh, tack that you're carrying with you, or they might even be armor that would slow them down. But of course, if you fumble in the wrong way, you might have to end up rolling on the riding mishap table which could mean a broken leg might, you know, your animal might be lame, uh, broken tack, so on and so forth. Yeah. It's just more excellent rules. And like some of these rules, like movement rates for mounts and stuff, you may never need to use them, right? Like depending on your style, but if you're doing like a very specific chase scene that you're building for your players on like the open road and you're dealing with mud and speed rates and potential crashes, like this stuff could really help you as a GM get a handle on stuff just to make it. To to help create that really memorable moment, that really interesting experience. There's a a separate uh, box on one of these pages that talks about being dragged and that oh, yeah. is such a neat thing that you could easily throw into a, an encounter where, you know, somebody falls off the wagon, falls off the horse, and they're holding on for dear life. And what that means, right? How awful that would actually be and how deadly it could be, well, not, it, let alone in Warhammer, but in, in actual life. It makes me think about uh, a scene in an episode we haven't released yet uh, for the actual play. That involves you guys being chased on a carriage. Yeah. And because I was thinking about this, like, man, what happens if one of them falls? Like, Yeah. That, it, that was a real thing. Yeah, I, it was a real recall, thing. Yeah. Conrad had to make a, a dicey <laughs> athletics check at one point. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he had to spend fortune to make it, too. Yeah. <laughs> you, you hear a lot about our actual play experiences as we record with you. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> oh, that's fine. 
Uh, in addition to the mounts and the different creatures you can have, there's a whole section in here too about vehicles, which is nice. Not just, you know, a cart and a wagon, but all of the different things that fall in between. So light, medium, heavy wagons, hand carts, a coach, not only how available they are, but their movement, they have their own wounds, how much they can carry. All of that is really great information. And they have their own um, vehicle mishap table as well, which is always fun. And there's even a section on caring for injured and animals, which I've written above Janet rules on my Janet was one of our players. Just if there's an injured animal, the entire storyline is going to stop until we deal with that until it's taken care of. Yeah. Speaking of injured animals, there is also a whole section about mounted combat and not just uh, ways to fight each other on combat, but the mount is becomes a viable target at that point too. Right. And this isn't, you know, this breaks it down in a lot of ways, the same way that it does for, you know, a normal, uh, person to person combat where there's hit locations, front leg, rear leg, the body, and all the different things that go along with that. Great stuff. So I, I have to ask, um, Graham, have you ever had that chase scene in Woofrup with like either on the horses or, or carts or anything like that. Have you had that experience? Um, I did during um, part of the playtesting something rotten in Kislev. There is a sequence where uh, the player characters are being chased by horse nomads, the Dolgans from mm. the uh, steppe. And uh, they're riding undead horses for reasons that uh, would take a long time to go into. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that was uh, that was a fun thing to uh, to put together because, as well, with undead horses, there's always the uh, the possibility of bits dropping off and uh, <laughs> or instability setting in. And uh, yeah, that was uh, that was a very tense and. Uh, and fun-filled sequence trying to to get away from this thundering horde. Awesome. All right, so uh, moving on, we have Chapter 6, which is on Road Wardens. Um, So uh, we actually did an episode talking about the Road Warden careers just recently. I don't remember the episode number. It was like 24 or 25, I think. But this is a great, if if you have a player that's a Road Warden or you're going to be traveling, understanding how Road Wardens work is is important um we we talk a little a lot about like the kind of the history and how road wardens work in that other episode but just a a quick recap and some of the stuff it talks about here um you know road wardens are essentially uh got they're part of the imperial army right to try to stop corruption and stuff and but it's it's a warhammer world so there's only so much you can do to try to stop corruption but um you know so they're they're really like part of the army and they're essentially Highway police. I mean, that's essentially what you're talking about here. Um, but highway police in the Warhammer world that has a significant amount of power and uh, that Bads lets them get away with a whole lot of stuff. And so this kind of explains how it works. Patrols, what a typical patrol might be, depending on the, the importance of the road or if it's main highway or a small road. Um, even talks about barracks and toll houses, which is toll houses, right? So somebody's got to fund these roads. Somebody's got to fund these bridges, right? So you need somebody to collect tolls for it, right? And you need somebody to be part of the law enforcement um, because you're trying to cut down on the corruption and the skimming off the top. So, yeah, this chapter has several excellent NPCs in here as well. And they range yeah. from your lower end toll keeper to your higher end road captain. 
yeah, it's it's a it's just a it's a great kind of I don't know how you would explain it, but like the the Cliff Notes version of what you need to know about Road Wardens to play them in your game. And by the way, hey, you're on the road and Road Wardens are definitely something you might encounter. Here are four different NPCs of various levels that you can immediately take and use, GM. Yeah. The artwork that's in here for Heinrich Steele, the human road captain, is, of course, it's a beautiful piece of art, but not the kind of guy you want to face down, especially when you look at uh, his characteristics and skills. Yeah, I would steer clear of that fellow. Yeah. Toughness of 52. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did you work on the uh, the characters or the NPCs in this chapter, Graham? Um, I provided outlines of NPCs, but one of the many imp- that um, Andy made was to uh, give them names and personalities and make them people rather than uh, what I provided was um, templates, more or less. Ah, so, okay. Uh, all of those actual personalities and also the uh, the shadow cast box. Uh, which I think are a brilliant idea. Um, they were all Andy. Excellent. Yeah, no, that's... Uh, and, and actually, and then we're talking about these NPCs, we can actually... that really leads into the next chapter, Chapter 7, right? And that is... Uh, all roads lead to Bogenhofen. And this is... How would you describe this? It's like an encyclopedia of NPCs you might meet on the road. Is that a... I think that's a good way to explain this. Yep. That's pretty much it. Yeah, it's and it's it's so because you look through this and just so every every NPC has a picture, which is huge for me as a GM because I can get a quick look and already get a feeling for that character. You, yeah, you immediately know how to how to play it and the uh-huh. kind of personality they might have. I really appreciate that this whole chapter is broken down into sections. You know, the first section is your road riffraff, your bounty hunters, your entertainers, uh, gamblers, and so on, you know, down the list. There's there's too many to name, really. But uh, every NPC that's in here has uh, a full stat block piece of art and then uh, a, at least a paragraph or more description of what they're like and, and why they're important. And, uh, again, more Shadowcast box in here, right? Several. To, yeah, for to help you tie it in to the enemy within. And just, uh, just good stuff. Like, I mean, I'm, we're obviously not going to go through every NPC in here. But it just gives you a great cast of characters for the road. I love it. Lots of good stuff. Moving on. This is probably the second thing we immediately talked about when we started uh, talking about what we were geeking out about when we got this PDF. Indeed. And, of course, you were talking about Chapter 8, which is all about mutants in the Empire. Uh, This is another great supplement to the information that we already have. The chapter, I want to say, is like 12 pages, and 10 of those are just tables to roll on. Uh, each of these tables is going to have going to break down physical mutations, um, the beast head, mental mutations, fixations, that are all there designed to help you make a really interesting mutant for your characters to come across or to happen onto. Uh, what is really nice, too, is that you roll the D100 to determine the, you know, the physical mutation, for example, and there's columns in here that are different for whether you're rolling a mutation for Corn or Nurgle or Slanesh or Zinch. So if you have one of those um, 
that's like overarching throughout your whole campaign or through a session, you can tie in directly to that instead of just having it be completely random. Right. And there's even a section it's, it's for chaos undivided or any power. And right. So like you can just roll on the entire table too. You don't have to stick to a specific chaos God, but it it's so, uh, so it basically takes what we have in the core rule book and says, you like mutations? Here you go. Here's a lot more mutations. That's right. I, I went back to the old classic uh, Realm of Chaos books and uh, ransacked the uh, the mutations tables from there and added a few more. And uh, so, yeah, just as you say, if you like mutants, here's me. And I, I also tried to cover a little bit about mutant culture and the different kinds, because yeah. uh, that can be a very good point of character and it can also inform all sorts of adventures and encounters. It can be a good source of ideas, just figuring out how they live, what problems they face and how those problems manifest and, and might come to the notice of a group of adventurers. For sure. How to, how to keep your mutation secret. And in some ways not being able to keep it secret. That's one thing that's nice with uh, any mutation that isn't something that can be hidden. Uh, it has a little footnote. So we know that if you've got this mutation, you know, people are going to know about it one way or another. Yeah. I, and I think that the mutant, cause it talks about mutants in the empire. And again, for someone that might be new to Warhammer, right? You, you picked up the starter set, you ran that, that was great fun, but you, you as a GM, especially are trying to get a better understanding of, of how the empire would work. This is great. Understanding mutants. It's, it gives you like a real intense look at what you might be looking at and why how do i like say this? how a cult mutant is different than a bandit mutant that's right. different than a beast man right or or like just how mutation is seen right so like i'm just understanding like you might be a good person and you have this mutation that could be a death sentence right you could be an upstanding imperial noble it, it doesn't matter if the witch hunters see you you're done yeah Speaking of that, there's an amazing piece of art on page 67, which is a witch hunter uh, looking like he's ready to dispatch a mm-hmm. mutant with a third arm and a mouth for a stomach. Very invocative of what to expect when you're talking about mutations in the old world. I think one of my favorite pieces is like the beast head, right? So because for me, like as a GM, right, if I'm going to have like, you know, this is a band of mutants living in, you know, the forest and they're led by a mutant with a wolf head. Like it's just easy for me to go, boom, here you go. This is what I need to know. Oh, by the way, he well, has and, and po- what, what would change by having a wolf head, right? He gets right. how, what traits you would have. Exactly. Perfect. And like, it talks about get this acute sense smell and plus one armor point to the head game bite plus six. Like it's just easy for me all laid out there. And as a GM, I didn't have to think too hard about it. Honestly, I didn't even think about doing that kind of theme of a mutant band until I looked at this table and go, Wolf, oh, that here's an idea, right? So, good stuff. Okay. So we should expect to see mutants in our actual play in the near future is what you're saying. What, do you, what makes you think you haven't already seen them but didn't <laughs> pass your uh, perception test? Well, you didn't have Lynn do the perception test. Right. That's why you didn't We're pass. We're foolish. <laughs> so... Um, chapter nine, the purple hand, the GM's guide. So obviously, um, I, I, I mean, I don't want to say spoilers too much, but purple hand is synonymous here with a chaos cult. And, um, this talks about Zinch specifically. 
um, and it gives a ton of details. Um, it talks about uh, the cult specifically, even rivals to the cult. But then it starts to talk about um, Purple Hand cultists and how they might be in your game or how you might be able to create a cultist. Um, there is a career in here, which we actually cover this in that um, that same episode as the Road Warden. We, have a, we talk about the cult Magus of Zinch. And it's an excellent, uh, excellent episode. We dig into this a lot, um, but it has all the rules for you to be able to use this. Now, this isn't something you would use as a standard um, career. This is something you need to use with GM permission. There's a whole lot of reasons that could be a problem. We talk about that in the other episode, but um, it's all the rules are there. Rules for Dar using Magic of Dar, which and the chaos uh lore of chaos spells arcane spells new talents for for like um disciple of change zinch's blessing i think is my favorite talent of all time you know you, you basically zinch gives you a spell you can choose any spell you want and uh and and you have it there it's just a it's just so good so good. I can talk about this forever. We we talked a little bit earlier that I we have a, a vault episode that we're gonna be we've worked on and recorded where we have a couple of uh, where we created characters using this profile and actually ran a game with them, um, and that was a lot of fun. It, there's so much here, like so, and I and I have to ask, like, and I I want to I don't know how much you can say on this, but Graham, I gotta imagine that we're gonna see the other guards uh, of of chaos focus in this way and uh in in possibly future companions um that's the plan yes okay yes. um the purple hand obviously uh figures first in the narrative but as uh other cults are encountered in one of the main adventure books uh, i have done uh, a chapter like this uh on that cult so that the GM's got all the information they could possibly need to make super detailed cult NPCs can understand how the cult works and yeah no and actually it was a lot of fun we ran it um, we had to lay down a lot of ground rules at the beginning of the game because of uh, how dark and twisted you could get right off the bat <laughs> yeah looking at some of the spells that are in here there's some gnarly spells. That, that oh, could yeah. be in the end of players, but also potentially the end of an entire town. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, Rend Aether is, has a channeling number of 16, so you can imagine how devastating that could be. Essentially, you open up a portal at the end of every round, a lesser demon crosses from the realms. Which, I mean, just thinking about Each the... Each round, I think. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> it... Uh, yeah, there's there are multiple pages in here. Lore of Zinch. So you've got a bunch of spells that are directly for Zinch, which of course are horrifying in every way. And it doesn't it doesn't stop there too, because um, if you really it, it gives you rules for Dar, which I think is really important. Um, I imagine that we'll see either those rules reprinted or expanded upon if we ever get like more of a an undead focused uh, expansion or, or something like that. But this gives us just enough to be able to run with it. And so like, if you roll an eight for, you know, representative of the eight pointed star of chaos, then bad things are going to happen. Um, if you're in a like chaos infused magic area, they call it the curse of Zinch. Um, it's a nine. 
right if you roll. So like I actually had one point in that game with my cousins where they were miscasting on doubles on um, when they're channeling on zeros, um, also on eights and also on nines. Let's just say there were a lot of miscasts in that game. <laughs> okay, and also I don't want to forget about the the demons, the chaos furies, and the horrors of Zinch. Yes. Yep. And I imagine we'll have more as we learn more. But Furies is a great one that I, because I, I'm trying to think, because from my my days gaming, you didn't see a bunch of Furies, but it's a it's a great, like I don't want to call it a vanilla demon, but it kind of fits that vanilla y demon. Like if I just need a demon, here you go. It doesn't have to be tied to any one god. <coughs> yeah, they're, they're not. Nice. They're, they're one of the uh, the things that appear after uh, Games Workshop had uh, ceased to produce Warthrop in uh, one of the later Chaos Army books, and I just thought it would be quite a useful thing to uh, to. Have. And of course, the uh, on the next page we have the horrors, and they've been updated to the uh, the current state of Warhammer Fantasy lore, where uh, they weren't really. Uh, in a very embryonic stage when the uh, enemy within came out for the first time. Yeah, I know they're, I, uh, they're definitely, uh, I've, I've had, I've ran a game with them and, uh, they can be a nasty, nasty treat for your players. Oh yes. Okay. So we talked about the Lords of Zines. We talked about the horrors. We talked about all of this stuff. I guess we're going to, the, the other thing that is in this book is we have, three adventures that are redone for fourth edition. These are first edition adventures that were redone for fourth. That includes On the Road, The Affair of the Hidden Jewel, and The Pandemonium Carnival, which that one, man, just kind of, I didn't read, I'm saving some of these to be a surprise until I run them, but The Pandemonium Carnival, I had to, because I don't think any of these, I've read quite a few first edition ones, but for whatever reasons, all three of these are ones that I hadn't seen before, but the Pandemonium Carnival was a good read. Um, crazy, crazy Warhammer. So I don't want to give any spoilers. But sure. It's... Well, the the first one on the road is really neat. It's not so much a like adventure in itself, but it's two shorter encounters that you can throw in any time that you're on the road. Right. They they tie into that theme. Right. Yep, and that was also the first thing uh, I wrote for. Uh, Wolferup in uh, White Dwarf. Oh, really? That was your first one? Might even have been the first article for Wolferup ever published in White Dwarf. Nice. Yeah, it was while I was writing Shadows over Bogenhaf and we had this sort of vague idea that, well, we've got this magazine, we ought to do something in there to promote the game. But there wasn't any time set aside, there wasn't any budget or schedule. And uh, I just... uh, dashed off these two encounter ideas thinking, well, there's going to be a lot of travel in the game. They'll come in. And, uh, yeah, they, they ended up being reprinted in a couple of other places and, uh, and here they are for fourth edition. Excellent. Yeah. I, uh, so I don't know what the, I'm seeing the picture and I'm seeing some big cats that looks really cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, back around, Around that time, uh, Elven Beast Handlers uh, first entered the miniatures line. Oh. And, um, so I, I had an idea among them, these cats uh, created by Trish Morrison. And they were kind of 
uh, mountain lion size, maybe a little bigger and a little rangier, almost like cheetah shape. And uh, I had the idea that these would be a great sort of forest predator to have around the place. And uh, as you can see, the uh, the Warhammer law hadn't quite solidified that point, and we had uh, lycanthropes and uh, and shape change and these cats. And uh, uh, so I just put the two together in this adventure. And I don't, far as I know, um, they've never been used since as a creature and uh, raised a couple of eyebrows at Games Workshop when we submitted the manuscript for approval. And hence, there's a little box on page 87 uh, explaining the, the history of the whole thing. There aren't lycanthropes or werewolves or weir anythings in, in Warhammer. Uh, as it currently stands, but uh, back when uh, this was written, those those sorts of things weren't ruled out. And uh, so essentially it boils down to um, keep calm and carry on. You know, right. Have, uh, use it if you like, but you don't have to. Well, the, I mean, uh, this is Warhammer, man. I don't I don't count anything out in this in this game. Uh, all's all's fair game that's kind of how i think it's so awesome well i think that uh that takes us to the end of the the end of the book it, it's it's so i so i guess this is a part where we can talk about a kind of our final thoughts and conclusions why don't you go first matt sure um i oh uh, if i may uh, yeah go interrupt. ahead um, it's worth saying that um at the very end of the in the uh the most modern most recent version. Uh, we have fourth edition uh, versions of the six original pre-generated player characters from the uh, the first publication of the enemy, and they've got fourth edition character sheets and everything. Yes, thank you. Um, I actually, I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah. So, and we actually use these a uh, couple of these in our game today for pre-gens that we ran um, that we ran here at home, and uh, they're great. Um, just the the fourth edition versions and they have the secrets. I want to point that out because that's huge. Like we, the secrets that you have for the starter set, we raved about them when we talked about the starter set. They're in the, in right. here too. They're, they're a yeah. great edition. They're, they are super fun. And there's something that in our session today, every, like there was some impact of every single secret that was taken by the players had some impact in the game. And that's, how it should be. That's really fun. I, I love that they, that also is gives you another way to connect the player characters together mm-hmm. so that they're not these, you know, and folks it, that have never met each other and are super standoffish. And it encouraged role play. So for sure it did. If it's not too uh, forward of me to say this, Graham, I, I want you to write um, uh, optional rules to add secrets to character creation. Like that would be awesome. It, it would be a must, and every character creation I did for fourth edition, if if I had rules to add secrets in there somehow, it would be it would not be a question. I would just I would literally take those pages out of whatever they're publishing and put them in my core rulebook in character creation because it is awesome. So I'm just putting that's just my two cents. So I'll throw it out there. Okay. Well, I've made a note of it. <laughs> so. Yeah, it would almost be um, like after your players have the characters created, you know, you would then take that information as the GM and come up with a handful of of ways to connect them together. Right. I don't there's a lot of different ways you could do it, but I know I know for a fact if we had some sort of 
table or I mean, because a GM screen has that table now of like, and you meet in a bar, like, why do you know each other kind of thing? And, and I think that's good. Um, but just something that would generate a secret, like something generate a secret that only you and the GM know, but that somehow impacts or like it would have to be pretty vague so that the player would have a lot of agency and it would have to be. I don't know. You know what? I mean, so we're not the the experts at writing this stuff. Graham is. So maybe we should let him do it. But yeah. <laughs> it's. So final thoughts on Enemy and Shadows Companion. Uh, I would say it is my favorite product that's came out since the core rulebook. I there's so much information that's usable in this. I've not only am I am I happy with this product, but it has me so excited and eagerly anticipating future companion books. I mean, we know mm. we're getting more. We already have been teased about what's going to be in Death on the Reich companion, and I I literally cannot wait to get that PDF. I'm so excited for it. Uh, and if this is a sign of what's to come from these companion books, we have so much excellent content that's coming out down the road. I agree. Um, I would I would mirror everything you said, and um, I would I would also say that this is the kind of supplement that as a GM, it's, it's in a lot of ways, it's a companion to the, the enemy in shadows. Absolutely. But it is also as a standalone book, it is amazing. And uh, if you are going to GM like more than one session or more than the starter set, you're going to do anything beyond that. Like this would be, I would heavily, heavily recommend you buy this. Um, it has information on the empire, has background information. It has mutations and lots of fun things travel rules travel rules um if you're going to do anything with chaos having those extra rules and understanding is perfect so a great great job graham it's it's a great product Um, hats off to you and everyone that made this happen well thank you very much i'm i'm glad you enjoyed it and uh yeah we're, we're obviously going to do our very best to maintain the same sort of standard of content or better in the uh in companions to come and uh, very glad that uh, you like what we've done so far. Absolutely. Uh, and I say we deliberately because a lot of people put a lot of work and uh, and love into this. As it should be. So so that's the end of our show tonight. Graham, again, thank you so much for, for joining us on this. Um, we really appreciate it. So, Graham, where can people find you? Um, you can find me uh, on my blog grahamdavis.wordpress.com you can find me on twitter at grahamjdavis and uh, you can find me on my facebook page excellent so intrepid listeners keep in touch let us know your questions feedback and even show topic suggestions you can contact us multiple ways by checking out our website at www.oldworldpodcast.com twitter at oldworldpodcast and facebook at facebook.com slash oldworldpodcast And while you're checking us out on the various social interwebs, be sure to hop on over to our Patreon page and support us. If you like what we're doing and want to help out, become a patron. For only a couple dollars a month, you can help support the show and get some cool rewards too. Check us out at patreon.com slash oldworldpodcast. Also, thanks to our amazing patrons, we have a merch store. Make sure to check that out. We've got fun rewards you can get, merchandise, different apparel, uh, drinkware, things like that. You can find that at oldworldpodcast.com slash store. Also, let us know what you think. Visit iTunes or your preferred podcast service and rate us. Every review helps us reach even more Warhammer fans. All right, so uh, this is Lance saying goodnight. And when you roll on that corruption table, 
definitely use the expanded mutations in in the companion book instead of the core rule book. You, well, you might be sad, but I won't be sad. This is Matt saying good night, and may you have an astounding success on your next travel endeavor. And this is Graham saying good night, and remember, mutants need love too. This podcast and related website are completely unofficial and are not endorsed by Games Workshop Limited or Cubicle Seven Entertainment. It is intended for educational and informational purposes only. GW Games Workshop, Warhammer, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, and all associated logos, illustrations, images, names, creatures, races, vehicles, locations, weapons, characters, and the distinctive likenesses thereof are registered trademarks of Games Workshop Limited, Cubicle 7 Entertainment, or their respective trademark or copyright holders. All original content of this podcast, including any audio or video information, is the intellectual property of the Old World Podcast and Crimson Tower Studios, LLC.